It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. I've got my son Taylor here with me. Hello. And Taylor has a lot of nicknames. Mm-hmm. As does Pear Dog. <laughs> So I have named you through the years Tito and Tonto and Tim Zimmerman. What's funny is that the older I get, I discover that these names have like, they're founded in something in like maybe old pop culture or a book or a movie. And so I'll discover, <laughs> I'll discover one of these names and go, oh my gosh, it makes sense. Tito Fuentes. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I do remember that one. A baseball player. Maybe. Okay. I'll discover it a few years down the road. But yeah, you're just here to share some of your story, which I've been, I've somewhat been a part of your story. You could say that. (laughs) So you are going into counseling. You're studying to to get your master's in counseling. Yeah. Yep. And you're getting it because, because of your experiences in life. Yeah. Totally. Because of the dad that you had. Uh, so yeah, yeah, tell us about going into counseling and why you're doing that. Yeah, I think there are a, a lot of reasons, obviously, and the, with the time we have, I'll try to consolidate it down into a couple that that jump out at me. I think one that jumps out is I had an experience overseas doing missions work and experienced some some unhealth, some unfinished or unprocessed stuff from teammates. In my own life, but on, on in teammates' lives, and I think that I contributed to a lot of a lot of struggle, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and I realized, man, a lot of this stuff. If we if we address this, we wouldn't have experienced. And I think as we minister to others, I saw that as a really significantly important thing is to you know uh, dig into our stories. So you were in the Middle East, in this big city in the Middle East, and it was during COVID. Mm-hmm. And your team blew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you're thinking, this didn't have to happen if we had cared for each other right. Yeah, I think when you're when you're overseas, or really in any sort of uh, forging moment or or circumstance in life, I think that we find that the junk just sort of comes out of the drawer. Or the stress makes it. Yeah, everything hits the fan. The stress uh, levels raise and struggles that you have had all along that you may have covered up, they come to the surface real quickly and you have to deal with them. That's the first reason you saw your team blow up in, in the Middle East. What's the other reason you're going into counseling? I think I've always been really passionate about discipleship. I, I did ministry for a couple of years after college. And I think one of the greatest things I'm passionate about in light of my own story, is individuals internalizing the love of God. And I think one of the ways that can happen most significantly is when we're on the journey together one-on-one. So I had had a heart for discipleship for a lot of years, and I think just sort of had this realization, man, one of the most significant ways I could be on the journey with others is in a, in a counseling relationship. And, you know, the older I've gotten, the more excited I've gotten about that idea. I know that Part of the reason you're becoming a counselor is because of stuff that happened when you were raised. Yeah. So if I can zoom out and sort of paint a picture, if you would allow me to. I will, because <laughs> you're my son. Otherwise, what I an, would... What an honor. I would ask you to leave immediately. 
I took a class on human growth and development, and uh, it, some of these thoughts I, I've had for a long time, but schooling really helps you to sort of tie those threads together. So um, there's this idea called attachment. It's the way that a child bonds to their caregiver or their parent at a really, really young age. can even be happening before you're born. It can happen in the womb, but for sure in your, in your early stages of development as you're an infant and then even on as you're as you're a child you are you're attaching or you're you're building a bond with your caregiver what happens developmentally as we're really young uh, the wiring in our brain begins to take shape and that sticks with us for a lifetime as I kind of studied this topic or been really curious or passionate about understanding my story and um, thinking about that topic I think that I've realized how much so the way that I am today, the way that you are today is largely a product of how were you as little Perry? How, how was little Taylor in the world? Because when you're, you're younger, you, you learn to both give love and receive love. You, the, the model with which you internalize love is really solidified in your younger years. Just real briefly, how did you not attach? Yeah, that's a great question. How did you not connect with me and mom? For you who are listening, we've had, I've had, my sister and I have had tons of really beautiful conversation with my mom and dad, which I would encourage you to have, no matter how old you are, with your, with your parent. I think those conversations are, can be really painful, but can be incredibly beautiful and restorative and redemptive. So we've had a lot of those really awesome conversations. I think it's really easy sometimes for us to focus on either what went really well, what we experienced that was beautiful, or what was really difficult. I think some of us had, grew up in a harder home, and we can only think of what was terrible, what was painful, what was hard. And I think some of us have sort of rose-colored glasses, and we think everything's amazing about my parents. And all of a sudden, maybe one day it dawns on us, oh my gosh, that was not ideal, or that wasn't quote-unquote perfect, as I'd imagine. What's one way that you didn't connect with us emotionally and form the bond maybe that you were looking for as a little kid, even though you didn't know you were looking for it? Yeah. I think it's important to say, before I answer, one more thought, is that we all were intended to, created to attach to a perfectly loving caregiver, perfectly loving father. And after the fall, in light of being exiled from Eden, none of us are going to experience on this side of eternity perfect attachment the way that I would understand it, the way that I have uniquely experienced the fall in light of my story. I don't think it's that two individual parents are more broken than others. I think it's just we've all grown up into a fallen world, which is to grow up in trauma and experience a lack of the attachment we needed. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, both you guys are really driven people, are really uh, passionate about what you do are go-getters and do things amazingly well. I think my mom, mom's a social worker. She um, has had an amazing ministry. You've done radio for a lot of years and been involved in the missions world. I think one thing that my sister Kaylee and I have experienced as a struggle is just the feel of having two parents who achieve a lot or do a lot. I think uh, there's always going to be a longing that kids have for for more presence or more time or more connection. I think that was one, when I think back on memories from childhood that are hard, I think of wishing there was more time for connectedness, even though we had a ton of it. 
And also seeing high achieving parents feeling like that's a high bar for me. Yeah, I think when you're a kid, you you only know what's normal to you at the time. And so for me, normal was, man, I feel like I got to I gotta get really good grades and I got to, not that you guys put that on us. I think there were maybe some subtle ways that you, you sort of put your own orientation to performing well on us. But I think as a kid, I sort of learned like, man, I got to get really good grades for fear of what if I don't? And I've got to, you know, I'm going to go to college one day, so I've got to be prepared to do that. And I got to check off all these boxes. And so I think I learned a, a performance orientation pretty young. I think Kaylee too, probably. And I remember the first time that you shared this with me, man, it just, I just wept. When, when was that? It was when you were in college. Okay. And it, it was so good even though it hurt so much. Yeah. Uh, one specific memory that I, so I had started counseling. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I had started counseling my senior year of college, the end of my senior year. And I, I had this memory as I was, as I was processing with my counselor, I was just, you know, something that happens in counseling is you're, you're invited to, you're invited to consider your story. And as I was just sort of, you know, subconsciously going about my day, I had this memory just sort of rush back and it was uh, being a young kid and watching my classmates uh, go to baseball games and go to football games and soccer games with with their parents or with their dad. And I remember I just had this flashback and this like ache in my heart of like, man, I wish, wish my dad would have just taken me to a baseball game. And it just totally wrecked me. I didn't know what to do with it at the time. And yeah, we had a heart to heart, and I remember you t- you took that on, and I wish I wish I could have gone back and shared it differently because you are so affected by that. It was real, yeah, and I think you did it well. I remember I I wrote you a note the next morning, yeah, put it on your seat in your car, and yes, you just did. said that you wept all the way to work as you. I did, yeah, and you know one thing you've said is we're all broken, and we all need the gospel, yeah, and so. You and I have a great friendship. We always have, you know, from you being a little boy up to now. Mm -hmm. And it's because, and it's the honesty that has kept us good friends. You grew up in the faith and you really made the faith your own during your teenage years, right? Yeah, my freshman year in high school had a pretty... uh Pretty significant. I want to follow Jesus. Deciding moments early on in in high school. Yeah, that was through Derek Tages. Yeah, pastor named Derek Tages, who who passed away weeks after he uh, was really influential. The Lord really used him to yeah. open my heart. Yeah, so it was real for you. And then you got into college. You got involved with Crew Grand Valley. But you you stepped into a season of doubt. Yeah. When did that start, and what was the trigger of that doubt? So I think uh, experientially knowing God has been one of the greatest longings of my heart for a long time. I'm a four on the Enneagram. For those of you who subscribe to the Enneagram, I I've always been. Uh, That's where we're gonna stop right there. You can't be on this show <laughs> into the Enneagram. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> yeah, I've always Google I've, it. I've, I've always felt things at a very deep level, but also thought about things very deeply. Yeah, I, I think that's just produced a deep longing in me to just have an intimate connectedness with with God and maybe a unique way. And 
I think one of the things that I started doing in college, early, early on in college, was sort of, you know, I think we all can't help but do the comparison thing. Something we all do are human, and I think we all aspire to grow in that and do less of that because it can be really destructive. I think that um, one thing I started to do was look at the the walk with the Lord that my peers had, and and I started to notice, hey, this looks different for everybody, and some some people have more experiential quote unquote knowledge of or or a more intimate walking with God, and what's up with that? Yeah, like they 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 have all the feels, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the yep. feels, and just share these moments where they felt like they were hearing from God, and. You know, it just kind of messed with me. It sort of wrecked me, and and I started to go, man. Either I am uniquely wrong or uniquely broken to not have these experiences, mm-hmm. or this is just all this is all emotion. There is no God in this. Yeah, there's no God is what you were wrestling with because you weren't experiencing Him and in the way long, that you saw. And others. I was longing for this just intense emotion of connectedness and that would be what would validate knowledge of and intimacy with god for me you knew all the intellectual answers you knew the reasons why to believe and they made sense to you but you still wondered if there was a god because you weren't experiencing him yeah so i'll come back to this in a second but i i think the the questions i had were were almost a smokescreen for what was really going on and i didn't know that at the time so so what went on in my heart was, man, this can't be true, but it would feel like a lie to walk away from this. So I need to just wholeheartedly dig into, can can this be true? So I wrote my honors senior thesis on uh, a resurrected Christ. Is there a reasonable case for, for the Judeo-Christian God? Mm-hmm. I, I spent years and years in college... Uh, doing research, uh, digging into apologists, reading books, having just painfully excruciating conversation with friends. It was, it kind of marked my, my journey in college big time. And yet intellectually you were there regarding God's existence, the resurrection, but the feelings, you know, not feeling like you could attach to God made you question it all. And I think everyone, I think we can all relate to this. I think it was like, I agree intellectually that this makes sense but i think belief is so much deeper than just our intellect i think in my heart i was like i i just there's something in me that i can't feel convinced that this is really how real life works because i don't feel that it's true yeah so that was just that was that was the wrestling was and it took years to connect the dots well this is deeper than just an intellectual thing remember this. I think you were staying at home at the time and there was something going on in your life and we kind of were, I don't know, sort of at odds with each other. Sure. And I was going to go to bed and you had gone into your room and I thought, man, I can't go to bed at odds with Taylor. Hmm. And you were, I think, wrestling with these doubts. And I went into your room and I just really tried to hear, you know, what, what you were going through, tried to hear your pain. And then we prayed together and it's like, boom, the Holy Spirit just helped me to feel what you were feeling. Mm. And we were both weeping, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
even though it was this huge demonstration of feeling toward you, I think you got the message like God really help has helped dad feel what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. And I remember one of the most defining moments for me on the journey. And I share this all the time when I share my story with others was, uh, it was like Christmas, my senior year Christmas. And I hadn't gone to counseling yet, but this was sort of the, the crux that pushed me there when I realized, whoa, there's like, there's some stuff I, I really want to, and need to process. So I remember sitting on the couch with you and I was just sort of painfully, you know, hashing it out again, sharing all the, the thoughts and the struggle and the, the questions and the doubts. And I just remember you paused and I feel like this was a question from the Lord. You just said, you just said, Taylor, do you believe that God can love you, that he loves you? Mm. And I just, you know, it's kind of painful to admit that. I mean, I had been in college, I'd have been involved in ministry for the whole time. I'd been leading Bible studies and leading worship and leading mission trips. And, you know, at face value, I was the dude who did college ministry and loved the Lord deeply. But internally, it was like questions upon questions. So you looked at me and said, you know, do you believe that you're loved by God? And I just, I wept and said, no, like, I just, I don't think that. I don't, I don't think so. Mm. I remember that being such a, a painful moment. And then you, you put your hand on my leg and I cry every time I share this. You put your hand on my leg and you said, Taylor, do you believe that I love you? Mm. And in that moment, I just felt, no, mm. I, I don't, I can't receive that. Mm. So in that moment, I, I realized, man, wait a minute. There's something beyond the questions that I have about God and could he be who he says he is? There's a, there's a question imprinted on my heart. Am I loved? Yeah. Can I receive love from God? But I, can I receive love from the people who in my life who love me most deeply? Yeah. Yeah. Whew. That was a good one. <laughs> but I think we can do that better. Let's do it again. Today, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So you grew up knowing the Lord, you were convinced, you know, that Jesus is real, but then in college you came into this season of doubt because you just didn't experience God. You didn't feel loved by God. You didn't even feel loved by me, by your parents, because you just weren't really able to receive love in a sense and experience love. And that's why you question the whole thing about God is because you weren't experiencing the love of God. So all that to say, you began a journey to, to understand why can't I experience, why can't I receive love? Yeah, and I, I feel like we can all relate deeply on the Christian journey of having heard gospel truths thousands of times over and then there are just moments where the Lord really downloads to us as if we hear it for the first time. So, you know, I had grown up churched and, and doing all the things for a long time. And it was like when I began this journey after that moment and I sort of entered into this new season, it was like I was taking it all in for the very first time. This would be like coming out of college yeah, into your so, 20s, you're 20, almost 28 now. So, so there's this moment where on the couch, I must have been 22 uh, about to graduate college, 
And, you know, so the last six years or so have, have been, you know, just a new journey for me. Yeah. The moment on the couch was, you know, where I said, do you believe God loves you? And you said no. And then I said, do you believe I love you? And you said no, because it, it was just this whole, whole thing of not being able to receive love, but go ahead. Yeah. So we had talked about earlier, uh, attachment as you, you sort of grow up in the world, you develop a framework, you know, you're psychologically, you develop a framework for internalizing the world. And, uh, one thing that I've grown really passionate about present day is understanding that the attachment that we develop growing up, it not only shapes the way that we perceive the world, we perceive others, but it, it ultimately shapes how we see God. So, I had developed this this performance orientation to life. It sounded something like this. If I perform well enough, if I can achieve a certain amount of performance, then I will have approval from others and I will be significant. That was sort of the false gospel narrative that I lived my whole life. So my whole Christian life was, how do I earn this thing? Even though I could tell you it's it's not about anything you earn, at a very deep level, I was trying to earn the love of God. And I very much felt like I needed to and felt like I needed to earn your guys' love. So I think a, a, one thing I did early on in counseling is I, I, I sort of internalized a new, the gospel in light of Taylor's story. And that would be that through Jesus' perfect performance, not through Taylor's performance, through Jesus' perfect performance, I belong in the Father's em- embrace, and I am deeply delighted in as his son. And that's all through Jesus' perfect performing. Okay. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that the reason you weren't necessarily connecting relationally, and the reason you weren't able to receive love from me and mom on an emotional level and from God is because you thought you had to earn it. And that's that's arsenic to the ability to receive love. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, and I think I think what's really tricky and what each of us who have sort of begun to deeply internalize the love of God, uh, we come to the end of ourselves. You know, we hit rock bottom. We The bottom sort of falls out of life. And I think that has to happen in order for us to unlearn the methods and models that we learned of receiving and getting love in our lives. And so for me, that was, that was exactly what was happening. It was, man, I've had really painful experiences as a kid going, you know what, if I perform right now, I'll get more attention. If I do this thing really well, it will feel really good and I will feel loved. The inverse of that is if I'm not performing, you know, I feel lonely. I feel mm-hmm. a little more isolated. I feel, I feel the absence of love. Yeah, and like a great example of this would be like, you're a gregarious person, kind of life of the party sure. at times. Sure. And, you know, back when you were wrestling, it was like people loved you when you were that guy. Mm-hmm. But when you were the quiet tailor who was wrestling and... Yeah, it's uh, like, I don't really know what to do with that, that, that part of Taylor. You felt like, well, I'm not really lovable when I'm not the life of the party Taylor. Yeah, so I just learned a life of doing that, and that becomes incredibly weighty, incredibly heavy. It's like running on a treadmill and that you can never get off of. And if you get off of, then life just doesn't work. 
had the joy this morning of a conversation with my beloved son, Taylor Micah LaHaye. You have learned to receive God's love unconditionally, and so love yourself. Yeah, a great a great uh, way to encapsulate this, to bring it into just normal life. And what, what does it look like when the rubber meets the road is, you know, for, I don't know, uh, five to 10 years, I would wake up every morning and I would just put this immense amount of pressure on myself to sit down, get a journal out, sit down, uh, open up the Bible and produce something. It was like, I believed that I had to do is in, an insurmountable amount of things in order to connect with God and have a good relationship with God. And on the days that I didn't do that, it was like, man, I'm a failure. I can't connect with God today because I didn't have it in me to perform well enough when I needed to. And now, uh, present day, I, I go for a walk every day or most days. And the way that I engage with the Lord is by, is by tangibly living out that gospel message that, you know what, as I am doing nothing, even as I'm doing nothing and I'm just walking, I can rest knowing that I am deeply delighted in and I belong in the family because of what Jesus has done. And that is more of a game changer and more transformative than a hundred times sitting down trying to earn the love of God through digging into the word and in prayer, even though those are amazing things. Yeah, it's like you've totally unhinged yourself from any kind of achievement. I mean, that's your goal every day. I'm not going to try to achieve God's love. Yeah, and boy, do we love to get back on the treadmill. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've found that the Christian life, my path of discipleship to Jesus looks looks like uh, walking at three miles an hour, uh, recognizing, well, I've, I've been accelerating I am about to blow through this stoplight and path of discipleship looks like slowing down. And so my, my hope, my longing is to move at three miles an hour. I think that's where we get to experience God most fully. And we can be attentive to, to him at work in our lives. Think about if you're driving at 80 miles an hour and you're trying to take in the scenery around you. Imagine trying to, to find the beauty in, in a flower driving at 80 miles an hour. You'll miss it. You'll never see it. And I think it's the same way. Uh, as God loves us, he loves us right now. You're more loved than you could ever imagine. And there's there's nothing barring you on on God's end from experiencing that. It's It's our missing it. It's our need to wake up to God's love that's right in front of us. And I think when we, when we get to slow down and practice a new way of being, we get to experience his love much, much more fully. It's a huge miracle to actually believe in your heart of hearts. That God loves you. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things, and I think it's a it's a lifetime yeah. journey. I'm yeah. still on the journey. Yeah. Shall we continue it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so got to tell a fun story. <laughs> so we had a pool back in Midland, Michigan. And I had a vision, a dad vision of you in taking a, the three-wheeler. amazing vision. <laughs> I was on board with the vision. Yes. Taking the, what was that called? A tricycle. You know, real, 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 real big, like a big wheel. Big front wheel, yeah. two small back wheels. The vision was, Taylor, drive into the pool on your big wheel. At Mach 10 speed. 
And mom, your mom, my bride, did not want that to happen. But one day she was away. So we wait, we waited until she was gone. <laughs> and so we put the helmet on you. You got on the big wheel. Take us through this amazing moment. The the concrete, this is probably more detail than you want, but the concrete was, uh, the wheel didn't take to the concrete well. So remember there that. wasn't a lot of space for acceleration. We tried our best, but it was just a lot of the wheel spinning. Yep. So we probably moved into the, talk about moving at three miles an hour. We probably moved into the pool about two miles an hour. <laughs> and I, I just did a full revolution and uh, essentially hit, hit the wall immediately after after falling in the pool. Yeah, your head went back and hit the wall. But so we had the helmet on, which is a win. Yeah. It was, I have to admit, it, was, it wasn't it was as dramatic as I thought I was, <laughs> it was going to be. Anticlimactic for sure. <laughs> Thanks for letting Perry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.